We are in the middle of a series called, Oh, the Places You'll Go. If this is your first time here, we just want to welcome you to the middle of that series, or maybe it's been a while since you've been here. Welcome back. Um, and um, th- how we're kind of taking this journey was we're journeying through a, a letter that was written 2,000 years ago by a famous Christian named the Apostle Paul. And uh, Paul is writing a letter to Christians in modern-day Turkey in a city called Ephesus, And um, it's known today as the letter to the Ephesians. It's actually been preserved through antiquity. And you'll find it in the New Testament of your Bible. It's the letter to the Ephesians. And uh, we have been going through this letter for the last few weeks. And it's a six-chapter letter. And one of the things that's important to know is that the first three chapters of this letter to the Ephesians are highly theological. The first half is highly theological. And then the last... Uh, three chapters, chapter four, five, and six, are very practical. So we move from theological to practical. And uh, as Matt, who spoke last week, who's our youth pastor, was talking about, as, as you make that switch in chapter four, and he spent some time in the first part of chapter four, um, things can get a little interesting. And he was talking about how there's some stuff in that first part that made him squirm. And for those who were here or you tuned in, you checked us out online, um, if, you weren't, if you weren't here with us last Sunday, he was talking about his lobster story, that, that the yellow stuff in the lobster tail that makes him squirm. You know, that made me laugh. I was giving him a hard time about that this week because, man, like, that's not something to squirm about. Come on, man, just that little yellow stuff in the lobster tail? I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's bigger stuff to squirm about than, than that. I'll tell you something that happened to me this past week, and that was something to squirm about. So um, I have three kids. My youngest is, uh, is six years old. Her name is Juliet. And um, so we're getting bedtime going in the 80 house, and, um, and she's brushing her teeth. And in the midst of her brushing her teeth, I'm just, just a few feet away uh, in, the, in my bedroom, and I hear her shout out in pain, and I hear her start crying as she's brushing her teeth. So I, I quickly go into the bathroom, and, and I say, Juliet, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? And she's sitting there crying, holding the toothbrush, and she peels down her lip, and as she peels down her lip, her front bottom baby tooth that was really loose is like hanging on by a thread. I mean, you know, there's like, there's like toothpaste spit in there and then there's like blood that's coming down. And here's the thing. I don't do blood. Okay. Blood just flat out makes me squirm. I mean, that's something to squirm about. So the funny thing is in our house, my wife is actually a pediatric nurse at Fairfax Hospital. She works in the emergency room, and she loves blood. Like, she can't get enough blood, you know what I'm saying? And and so when she hears that that there's something going on, she runs into the bathroom. She's like, ooh, let me pull out that tooth. And at that point, I'm out of there. I am just, I'm gone. Because I, I, can't, I can't sit there and watch that. So, of course, Juliet's like, no, no, but it hurts. Let me pull it out. No, no. So I'm just, I'm as far away as possible. I don't want to see it. I don't even want to hear what's happening, okay? Because I will pass out. I guess just, I'm the, not the one you want in any sort of a medical emergency. So, um, so anyway, the funny thing was, Juliet would not let her mom pull that tooth out because she was way too afraid of that. And Becky had this little twinkle in her eye. You know, like she just wanted, she wanted to pull that tooth out. So, so now fast forward a few minutes and we're doing bedtime stories. You know, I, I'm, I'm tucking Juliet into bed and, um, and I'm reading and she's sitting there wiggling the tooth. I'm like, would you just stop touching the tooth? Just stop, just, just cut it out. 
That's great mixed messaging for, for you know, parenting. So you got one parent trying to pull that tooth out, and the other parent's like, just leave it alone, just leave it alone. But the bottom line is this. That stuff makes me crazy. It makes me squirm. And we are going to squirm a little bit more this morning over this text. We are now in Ephesians chapter 4. It's like the second half of the chapter. And we're going to go into the first half of chapter 5. Highly practical instructions, but there's some stuff in there that might make you recoil a little bit. So we're going to just jump right in and start reading, starting in verse 17 of chapter 4. It says this, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. This is Paul writing to Christians in Ephesus, modern-day Turkey. Okay, So here are his instructions to Christians, to followers of Jesus. He says, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. Now, Gentiles back there was simply a word for a non-Jewish person. This is someone who did not believe in God, was not kind of living their life in a way that would be kind of like submitted to God. And so he's saying, don't live that way. Uh, as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. He says, They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Doesn't that just sound wonderful? I mean, some of you are already kind of squirming just hearing that. Then he says, that, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. And you'll see there's this put off, put on theme that goes through this chapter. He says to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on... The new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, let's stop for a minute and and recap. Basically, what Paul is saying here is he's like, listen, you're followers of Jesus, okay? So don't live like godless people doing godless things, but put off your old, selfish, sinful self and put on this new self, And what he means there is that when you put your faith in Jesus, okay, when you give your life to Jesus and um, and you and you make that decision, Jesus makes a promise to send His Spirit to live within us. And so the new self, enabled by the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God in us, enables us to live this new self life, which is a life of holiness and righteousness. Okay, and so that's basically what Paul is imploring this group of people to. Now, from there, in the next 30 or so verses, you have a whole litany of instructions. You may read them as rules and regulations. You may read them as a whole list of do's and don'ts. Um, There's a ton of them there. I tried to boil this down to to 10, and and I just synthesized. So I'm just taking excerpts of 10 verses. We're going to start in uh, chapter 4, verse 25, and go all the way to uh, verse 20 of chapter 5. So let me just kind of run through 10 real quick. He says in verse 25, okay, put off falsehood, and speak truthfully. Verse 26, in your anger, do not sin. Verse 28, you're to work, and the reason that you work is so that you can share with those people who are in need. 
verse 29. He says you're to have no unwholesome talk, but only what is helpful for building others up. Here's another one, verse 31. We're to get rid of all bitterness. He goes on saying bitterness, malice. In fact, get rid of all the anger too. All right? Verse 32, he says, be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other. Then we move into chapter 5, verse 3. We're not to even have a hint of sexual immorality or greed. Not even a hint. Verses 8 through 11, we're told to live as children of light and expose deeds of darkness. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine. And some of you are like, oh, thank God, I don't like wine anyway. Um, But instead, be filled with the Spirit. And then verses 19 through 20, we are to sing to the Lord, always giving thanks for everything. It's just tons and tons. This is just just excerpts. There's, There's many more in this passage. And some of you are sitting here right now saying, you know what? See, this passage right here, this is exactly why I'm not a Christian. Like, I love Grace Community Church. It's this church for people who don't go to church, and you guys seem super laid back, and it's not super rulesy and legalistic and all these rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. But, um, but this passage here, this is just all these rules. It, this, is, this is crazy. It's like, it's like God is just some cosmic killjoy out to steal all of our fun with this huge laundry list of things that we're supposed to do and not do. What's up with all the rules? And some of you may be saying, you know what? When you look at just even those 10 we went through, it's impossible to keep them, isn't it? I mean, not even a hint of sexual immorality, not even a hint of greed, that's crazy. And how about this seeing and you know, praising God all the time and giving thanks for everything? I mean, that's, nobody can do that all the time. That's impossible. And even those who think that it is possible and, and maybe you know, are, are trying the best they can to do all of these things, um, people who actually think that they can do all these things, they are so holier than thou, they're terrible to be around. So if that is maybe, as you're looking at this passage, if that's some of the stuff that is going through your head, there's some really valid stuff there in terms of your argument. But before I address that, I want us to take a look at two of those 10 um, instructions that we just walked through a minute ago. I just want to take a look at two in a little bit more detail. So let's look at the the first one that we read, Ephesians 4.25. It says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. And that all members of one body is a reference to the fact that we are all members of the body of Christ. So as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, Jesus is no longer physically present with us. On this earth, instead, all of his followers comprise kind of Jesus' hands and feet in the world. So he's saying, we got to put off falsehood and speak truthfully to one another. Now, you may be saying, well, this one is a very obvious one, okay? Put off falsehood, so don't lie and tell the truth. Who is going to argue with that one? Well, I think that this one is particularly relevant in our society today. Because we're in the live and let live Society, right? I mean, that, that's pretty much the deal. 
you don't say anything to me that's going to offend me in any way. If you have something truthful to say, but in any way I take offense to it, it it's off limits. You absolutely cannot do it. You can't tell me that I'm wrong. Um, you can barely disagree with me in today's day and age. And so truth is one of those things that's extremely delicate. And I'm not saying, by the way, that, um, that this live and let live thing doesn't have a lot of merit to it, because it's, it's, there's a lot of good things about it. But we've almost gotten to the point where, where we can't speak truthfully anymore. We almost have to have this, this uh, spirit of, of falsehood. Like we can't really say what's going on. I remember um, a moment of truth when I was in fifth grade. So um, never forget this day. First day of, uh, of fifth grade, I was making the transition from elementary school to middle school. So I was going to the Edwin H. Green School in Cincinnati, Ohio. And man, I, I was on top of the world because I was big, man. You know what I'm saying? I was, I was no longer a little elementary school student. And um, I remember getting on that bus and I walked on there, man, with my head held high and my chest puffed out. And I walked down about halfway down that, the bus and I sat down on a seat and I felt great. And there was a kid across from me, so I was a, a brand new fifth grader, and there was a sixth grader sitting in the seat right across from me. I didn't know who this kid was, never seen him before in my life. Um, but he just looked at me, looked me up and down, and without even introducing himself, he said to me, he said, you can't wear those shoes. Now, let me show you a picture of the shoes. This isn't the exact replica, but um, I, I was rocking these zips right here, okay? Um, and, and they actually, um, my, my mom got them cheap at some department store clearance rack somewhere, but they were actually, I still remember the brand made by Winner. That was the brand, the company that made these shoes, Winner, because I was a winner, baby, okay? So, so I am just feeling awesome. I got my zips on, first day of fifth grade, of sitting on the bus, and this kid is like, you can't wear those to school. And I was like, what? And he said, yeah. There was a kid who wore zips to school last year. He got suspended. Now, this is completely illogical, right? I mean, we all know this. But I'm sitting there, man. There's a sixth grader telling me that you can't wear zips. I've never been to this school before. That's gospel for me. So on the surface... Everything is calm. I didn't say anything. I just looked ahead, and I was just like in my mind trying to figure out, like, do I just ditch the shoes here and go in with socks? Like, what am I going to do? Internally, I am freaking out, all right? Now, this was extremely cruel that this kid did this to me, and he was totally lying. But I got to tell you, I actually owe this guy a debt of gratitude. Because although he was totally lying... He was sharing a core truth with me. You know what that was? When you're in middle school, it is not cool to wear zips to school. <laughs> now, he had a very dysfunctional way of sharing that truth with me that caused me some significant turmoil and I think took years off my life. Okay? <laughs> But the reality is, there was a pearl of wisdom. There was some truth there that, believe you me, I took to heart. Once I realized I wasn't getting suspended, I made it through that first day, and I never, ever donned a pair of Velcro shoes again in my life. You know what I'm saying? Never did. Went out to the store that night, Mom, we got to do a wardrobe change, all right? That was actually priceless to me. He was helping me out. Why? Because he shared some truth, Okay? Now, that's not the way to do it. 
But here's the thing, okay? Have you ever had food in your teeth? And and like, you know that you saw multiple people and then you, you got in a mirror later and you're like, oh my goodness, none of these people said anything about the food in my teeth. You ever been there? And you're counting back thinking, I thought this person was my friend. Okay, here's the deal. If I have food in my teeth, if my fly is down, if I am having a major wardrobe malfunction, I need you to tell me, right? I mean, we want the truth. And here's why, not only do we want it, but we need it. Because you see, the truth is how we grow. There's a reason that Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Will set you free. The reality is this. The truth is the thing that enables us to see blind spots, right? We all have blind spots, every single one of us. We can't see them. We need somebody to help us to identify those things so that we can grow. Now, one of the things that that I'm really excited about is uh, two weeks from today, we are going to be starting signups for our fall semester of community groups around here. Community groups is another word for Bible study groups or small groups or whatever you call them. But it's, it's small um, groups of people who huddle together and discuss a little bit more about what we talk about here from the stage on Sunday, or we'll discuss a particular Christian book or a, a passage of the Bible and try and wrestle a little bit with what does this mean for our lives? How do we apply this? How do we live this out? What does this look like for us? And um, one of the things that I love about our groups is I think they're so needed in, in our world today. And here's why. Because you, you notice how much of our conversations and how much of our relationships and how much of our world and networking and all that stuff in D.C. is, is on the surface. And I'm not saying that there's anything uh, wrong with surface conversations. I have tons of them myself. But... but We've got to scratch below the surface, right? I mean, we need to have places and people where we can talk about the deeper stuff that really matters more than the weather or the Redskins. We don't definitely want to be talking about the Redskins these days um, or the Nats or, or whatever it is, right? To, to talk about the stuff that really matters in this life. And I just want to let you know that community groups here at Grace are one place where you can get intentional conversation about some deeper stuff that really matters. These are places, safe places, where we can begin to wrestle with God's truth for our lives and what that means for us. Now, some of you may be saying, okay, so like, this is like a truth-telling forum where you can just go in there and just unload on somebody. No, <laughs> no, 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 not at all. When we speak the truth to one another, first and foremost, we speak the truth in love, okay? That's something that Jesus teaches us, to speak the truth in love. But being able to speak the truth is also something that is earned. It's not something that you do the first time you meet somebody in one of these community groups. This takes a long time of building trust, building a relationship, building understanding. And, uh, and then finally, it's something that is done with complete humility, Okay, but these community groups are places where we can begin to try and explore where our blind spots are and to encourage each other in our relationship with God and to just be the people that that, uh, ultimately God wants us to be. So I hope that many of you will consider taking a step and jumping in and trying it out, trying out a community group when we do the signups two weeks from today and also three weeks from today. They'll happen right here um, after each service. 
But even if maybe that's not your thing or you're not ready or, or whatever, here's the question based on Ephesians 4.25. Do you have people that you can be real with? Do you have people that will really tell you the truth? Now, they'll do it in the right way, not, not the wrong way, okay? You're going to get suspended if you wear zips to school, but, but I'm talking about the right way, humbly, in love. You know, you've, you've built up that trust and earned the right to say that. Do you have people in your life who you can share truth with and they can share truth with you? Because this is how we grow. There's a real blessing in Ephesians 4. 25. Although on the surface, it may just look like a rule or a requirement. Let's look at one other one. It's the fourth one on that list we looked at before. Ephesians 4.29. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Um, so unwholesome talk, when you look at the Greek words, this was originally written in Greek, that is the word for rotten, okay? So anything rotten coming out of your mouth, that can be the language that you're using, um, that can be anything that you're saying that, that kind of rips on or tears down another person, that can be just gossiping, slandering somebody behind their back. It's, it's all of that stuff, okay? Anything, anything unwholesome, anything negative that's coming out of your mouth. But instead of talking like that, we are to build one another up. We're to say things that are going to edify other people. So I remember um, it wasn't this past Lent, but it was the Lent before in 2014. It's that 40 day period leading up to Easter Sunday. And in Lent 2014, uh, my wife, Becky, who I, I told you is a, a nurse in a, in a hospital, she decided that for, for that Lent, she was going to give up, because we've done, given up sweets before, and that was really, really tough. So she was like, I'm going to give up something else. So she decided, I'm going to give up all negative talk. I'm going to give up all unwholesome talk. All right? And, um, and so it, it was pretty dramatic, actually. So she, she goes to work, and, um, and it's, a, it's a very a stressful um, dynamic environment there in the, in the hospital emergency room. And so there's all kinds of issues going on. There's just lots of stuff happening. And so she, she goes in and she decided, if there's any negative talk, I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to participate in that. Okay? So, um, so right away, you know, she's in there first, first morning back to work, and, um, and a bunch of people were standing around, and they were complaining about something, some policy, some management thing. I don't know, they, were, they were just all this, oh, can you believe it? And I can't believe this is happening. And then they kind of all looked at Becky, because my wife, is, is, she's always one to talk. I mean, she loves to talk. So they kind of were looking at her, expecting, expecting her to, to say something. And she goes, I'd love to say something right now, but I gave up negative talk for Lent. And um, everybody kind of chuckled a little bit. And then she's like, no, I'm serious. And, um, and so everybody was kind of trying to figure out what the heck do we make of that. Well, then a little bit later on in the day, um, I, I, some, there was some more complaints, and it had to do with a specific person instead of a policy. And so... Um, so again, there are a bunch of people having this conversation, and again, they're kind of looking at Becky, and she says, you know what, guys, I'm sorry, but I, you know, I, I gave this up for Lent. <laughs> and, um, and so quite quickly, everybody catches on to Becky's got this weird Lent thing going on that she did, and, and so she's like not saying anything, and she just kind of is stepping back from, from conversations. And you know what happened like almost instantaneously? <laughs> she had no friends at the hospital. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 
that's not what happened. But um, what happened was, and, and this, is, this is so funny. So the instant that she would start to walk into a circle where, where there was a conversation being had, they'd be like, oh, oh, oh Becky's here. Becky's here. We got to change the subject. We got to talk about something positive. And so it's kind of funny, right? But literally, she would keep walking into environments, and it was kind of this ongoing, fun, playful joke. You know, she wasn't coming off as a holier than thou or anything like that, uh, but just kind of in a humble way saying this. And literally, conversa- think about this. Conversations were changing when she walked into a circle. Not because, oh, preacher's wife, you know, you got to do this or whatever. No, 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 not, not that. And, and here's something even crazier. Other people, okay? We're not talking about church-going people or anything like that. We're just, we're just talking about just, just average, common, ordinary people. We're then saying, you know what? That's, that's a good challenge. I'm going to do that challenge. I don't even know what Lent is, but I'm going to take that challenge. I, I don't want to do the negative. And she had multiple people who were then saying, I'm not going to do that either. That's cool. And here's, here's what happened as a result of that. I'm not saying the whole culture in the hospital changed, okay? I'm not saying every conversation was positive. It, well, this wasn't perfect by any means. But the flavor changed a little bit. Conversations became much more positive, literally. Because it was just like, hey, we, we're, we're not going to do this. There was, there was an intentionality to it. And it just, it became a little bit better a place to work. When you're not all around the negative conversations all the time, it's just better for you. And I've actually been trying that this week, and it's been fun. It really has. And when you not only think about the not, not having the negative, unwholesome stuff come out of your mouth, but when you think about, how could I just build somebody up today? Even just some random person, hey, nice shoes. You look good today. You know, whatever. Just something to just build that person up a little bit. All of a sudden, the world seems a little bit brighter. There's a little bit, few more smiles being returned to you. And there is a tremendous blessing in what seems on the surface to be another do or another don't, another rule, another regulation that we have here in our Bible. And so here's something for you. What if, just for this week, what if you tried that? You said, you know what? I'm just not going to participate in any sort of negative, unwholesome talk. And I'm just going to look for opportunities to just maybe see how I could, I could just fill someone's sails just a little bit, how I could be a blessing. Because let me tell you, it is a blessing to us to do that. You see, what we find when we take the time, on the surface, you look at all these things. You say, what's up with all these rules? What's up with all these regulations? What's up with all the do's and don'ts? God is just out to just steal my fun. But the reality is, when we look at them and we, and we take each one, if we start to actually apply it to our lives, we find there's a blessing in it for us. There's a reason why that's there. And it's actually not just a blessing for us as individuals, but it's a blessing for us as a church. Because what you have to remember is that Paul is writing this letter to a gathered community of Christians in Ephesus. So basically what Paul is reminding them is, listen, if we're God's people, if this is God's church, if this is the hope of the world, if we're the shining city on the hill, if we're salt and light, we are now the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ on this earth, then there is something different that we should be doing. We shouldn't just be living like everybody else, right? 
We, we, sh- we should ha- be acting according to a higher standard. And so he lays out these guidelines, these instructions, these rules, if you want to see them that way, that, hey, we could do a little bit better. Now, that actually brings us back full circle. Because now some of you think, aha, but we're back to the rule thing again. So there is kind of all this stuff that we are supposed to be doing and not doing. It seems like there's this, is this kind of religious uh, you know, exercise that, that we have to try and do. And, and, and here's, here's the problem with that. And uh, for those of you who were here a few weeks ago, I had this little illustration, and I, I want to bring it back because I think it's, it's just so relevant to this conversation. So, so here's kind of the objection. All right, so there's all these rules, do's and don'ts, uh, things that we're supposed to do. And the reality is this. Um, it's kind of like by doing them, we're, we're climbing this, this moral or this religious ladder, and, and we're trying to get to a place where we're basically at like God's level or God's status. And pretty much everyone, as they would even look at a small sampling from just this one chapter of this one letter, would say, it's impossible to do all these things. Not even a hint? Come on, that's ridiculous. All right? And so what you find is if you're going to be brutally honest with yourself, you actually can't achieve all these rules and regulations. You can't do all this stuff, but you find yourself stumbling and bumbling down here somewhere, feeling guilty, feeling unworthy, just, just feeling defeated. Okay? So if you're going to be brutally honest, you find yourself here. But if you're maybe a little bit deceived and you just think you're doing an awesome, awesome job and you're just doing everything perfectly, then what you do is you find as you climb this ladder, maybe you end up all the way at the top here and you think, man, I'm just killing it. I, I, and you get this, this sense of actually being morally superior to everybody else. And this is the thing that is just, is just revolting to everybody else around you. And so what happens is, for most of us, if we kind of see religion as this list of do's and don'ts and all these rules and regulations, is we're, we're doing this climbing and falling and climbing and falling and climbing and falling, and it's just exhausting. And this isn't just Christianity. Pick, pick a religion, okay? If you think that that's really what it's about, you just are exhausted, and it's your moral duty, it's your obligation to keep trying to climb this ladder and do better and do better and do better. And, and it, it leaves us just absolutely defeated. So, what do we do about that? Here, here's all these rules and regulations. Well, fortunately for us, there's a verse right in the middle of this passage. It's Ephesians 5.1. And really what Paul's doing in Ephesians 5.1 is just reminding us of the first three chapters of this letter. And in Ephesians 5.1, he's actually giving another instruction There's another rule, so to speak, in here, but check out how it's couched, all right? He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and here's the instruction, and walk in the way of love, okay? So you're supposed to walk in the way of love. That's the, quote, rule there. But here's the deal. How do we walk in the way of love? Is this just another rule that we're supposed to follow? No, check this out. As dearly loved children of God, We are to walk in the way of love. Did you catch that? See, this actually isn't about a whole list of rules and regulations and climbing some ladder and being exhausted all the time. Primarily, first and foremost, is we must take hold of the fact that we are dearly loved children of God. And 
We walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. And basically, if you're here and you're like, what the heck does that mean? Let me just tell you what that means. It basically means that, um, that Jesus Christ came to this earth and, and we as, as a Christian church do not believe that Jesus was just some teacher or was just some prophet or was just some rabbi, but actually was the son of God who came to this earth and lived a perfect life and then died a sacrificial death as the ultimate expression of love. Say, I'm going to take on all the sins, all the mistakes, all the evil, everything on myself, and we're going to bury that and then overcome it through a resurrection. And anyone who has faith in me, I won't see what, what they've done and all their mistakes and all that stuff. We'll just see only the righteousness of Jesus and that we come into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ that way. And there's no, there's no ladders. There's all these rules and regulations. This is actually all in a response to the fact that we are dearly loved children of God. And you see, we don't do these things, all these rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. We don't do them all, try and climb up a ladder so that we'll be loved by God or accepted by God or have favor with God. But instead, it's right over here at the cross of what Jesus has already done for us. Where we say, you know what? We already are loved. We already are accepted. Not because we're so great, but because Jesus is so great. And that brings us to an unbelievable place of humility where then what our response is, is we don't do this because we have to do it. It's some duty we've got to do but it's a joy to do it. We want to do these things. We have a loving heavenly father who loves us so much, calls us his children and says, look, I'm showing you how you'll be blessed. You do these things. There's a blessing in it. Okay. You give free will, you, you know, take it or leave it. But if you do it, your life will be better. There's a blessing there. And that's what we miss so often. We don't put first things first that first and foremost, it's because of what Jesus has done. It's because we are dearly loved children of God. So as we close out this service today, um, if you're here this morning and you just, you're tired, you just, just getting to church on Sundays is, is a process for you. Or I don't know, just trying to kind of do what you feel is, is the right thing that God wants you to do. You feel this sense of duty or obligation. You, you just, you feel this, this whole tension of this ladder over here. I just want to say, if, if that's you, um, very humbly, I just want to suggest to you that maybe somewhere in this, you have lost sight of the foundational principle of Christianity, which is you are already in, you are already accepted, you are already loved, and there's nothing you can do to increase that or diminish it. Nothing, nothing. You put your faith in Jesus Christ and, and you're, you're, you're there, you're there. Everything from there is just a joyful response to this unbelievable love of God. Now, if you're here this morning, and, uh, and maybe you've always kind of seen Christianity as this religious exercise and all these do's and don'ts and rules and regulations. I just want to encourage you. Um, that's actually not the message that Jesus came to portray. And maybe you've heard that somewhere from a friend or, um, you know, you've, you've actually heard it in church and you felt like it's this legalistic exercise. And I'm here to tell you it's not. The message of Christianity is very simple. 
There's no ladder that will ever get you into a place where you're on equal footing with God. It's impossible. It's impossible. And we actually don't get on equal footing with God until we hit our knees right here in front of the cross and just say, God, yeah, I can't. I can't do that. I can't be perfect. There's no way. And the second that we declare that and say, Jesus, you lived the perfect life for me and I put my faith in you, then we're declared righteous. It's crazy, but we're declared righteous. And if you're here and you long for that, you would love to know that you're accepted fully, blamelessly by your heavenly father. It's so simple. Just receive it. That's all you have to do. So I want to say a prayer for us now. Music team is going to come back up and, uh, and close us out with, uh, with one final song. And then, um, and then we'll be on our way. So let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Lord God, um, we thank you um, for what on the surface can certainly overwhelm us with this sense that, that you have all these duties and obligations for us to follow and, and, uh, and somehow we're climbing this religious ladder. Uh, but when we scratch below the surface and we dig a little deeper, uh, we just want to say thank you for the fact that um, it's ultimately all about your love, all about what you've already done. It's not about what we do, but it's what you've already done for us. Lord, I want to pray for those who are here this morning who are just tired and feeling like they've got to live up to some religious standard. And I just pray that you'd show them that they've already exceeded the standard through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray you give them their joy back. You'd allow them to reflect on all the wonderful things you've done in their lives, from giving them life to just all the blessings that you've given them in their life. Lord, and for those who've never really known a relationship with you, never really trusted you, Jesus, I pray today would be the day that they would take that step and they wouldn't be declared righteous through their effort, but through your effort, Jesus. Lord, we're just so thankful and we uh, turn our focus and our attention and our hearts to you as we sing out this last song and uh, we just consider it a joy to serve you. We consider it a joy to go out and love. We consider it a joy to take your instructions to heart because ultimately you love us. You want the best for us and we're blessed if we do these things. So uh, Lord, let our response now be heard to you. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.